It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. Astronomy Cast, episode 52 for Monday, September 3rd, 2007, Mars. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hi, Pamela. How's it going over there? It's going crazy, but it's going forward. How's it going with you? Good. We're on, we're on Hornby Island. We, we came up here for the lunar eclipse to visit the grandparents. And unfortunately, the, uh, we saw the, about two-thirds of the eclipse, and then the clouds socked in, and then that was that. Ooh. But the kids were troopers about it, so we had a good time. Cool. And now I'm actually recording in my dad's studio, and it's got a bit of an echo in here, so hopefully this doesn't drive people crazy. Okay, so today we consider Mars, the next planet in our journey through the solar system. Apart from the Earth, it's the most explored planet out there. Even now, there are rovers crawling the surface, orbiters overhead, and a lander on its way. It's a cold, dry desert, so why does this planet hold such fascination? Pamela, why? Well, it's easy to get to. It's, it's the nearest rock to the Earth. And it's also one that captivates us because if it weren't for the high radiation levels... You could walk around on the surface of Mars in a scuba suit and a winter jacket. And that's just kind of cool. You could live on the surface of another planet. Unfortunately, there's this problem with radiation. But that again, now you're wandering around in a scuba suit, a lead suit, and a warm winter jacket. And you can walk on the surface. Okay, so let's talk about the the characteristics of the planet. Because with Venus, we had all these different ways that Venus was trying to kill you. But with Mars, there's all these ways where Mars is trying to help you out. It's, it's a great little world. It's smaller than the Earth and has significantly lower gravity. And this is part of the reason that it doesn't totally help you out. Its gravity isn't enough to hold on to a nice, thick atmosphere. But it has some atmosphere. It has weather. It has cloud patterns. It has the biggest dust storms in the entire solar system. This atmosphere allows it to also hold on to a little bit of the heat that hits it. This means that when the Mars rovers landed, it was warmer on Mars than it was in the city of Boston. It can get as high as 70 degrees Fahrenheit there. Now, that said, it also gets cold enough that it will freeze carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere to make dry ice polar caps. This is a planet that has water. It's not liquid water running across the surface of the planet. If you put a glass of water out on the surface of the Mars, the atmosphere is so thin that that water will go straight to basically humidity. It goes straight to uh, water molecules becoming gas, just hanging out and um, joining the atmosphere until it gets cold enough that then the water, instead of raining out of the atmosphere, it freezes out of the atmosphere. So you have these two poles made out of water ice, made out of dry ice. And there's also water under the surface of Mars. And this water occasionally comes up to the surface and helps form these gullies. It helps form surface features that we're still trying to understand. There's dust devils, a 
walk across one of the plains of Mars might not look too different than a walk across a desert in the southwest of the United States where you have dust devils, you have dust storms, you have gullies. It's very much like home with the deadly aspects. Okay, well then let's talk about the uh, the deadly aspects. Well, the atmosphere isn't thick enough to breathe. How how thick is it not? <laughs> how thick is it not? It's actually 0.6% of the atmosphere on the surface of the planet Earth. So it's a really, really thin atmosphere. And so even if you tried to, even if it's pure oxygen, you wouldn't be able to breathe it. Well, you could try, but unfortunately, the, the vessels, the air sacs, the stuff in our lungs, they need a certain amount of air pressure to work against them or they're going to rupture. So this is such a low air pressure that it can actually damage the inside of your lungs. So you're going to want to have basically a scuba suit to be maintaining proper pressure inside your lungs while you're trying to breathe. All right. And then you said the temperature can get up to fairly warm temperatures, but most of the time for most of the planet, it's pretty cold. Its average temperature is negative 46 degrees Celsius. It's a bad winter day in Michigan on average. I've actually seen it get colder than that in Michigan, and really, you don't want to go outside. Its minimum temperatures are about negative 87 degrees Celsius. So it gets cold enough that you're going to have the surface of your eyes freezing. You're going to have almost instantaneous frostbite. You're going to start losing fingers and toes and your nose and all the things that you hear about Mount Everest climbers losing to cold weather. So you go out in a in a scuba suit or some kind of breathing apparatus. You've got a nice uh, Everest or Antarctica outfit on. What else is going to be a problem for you? Well, it doesn't have a magnetic field. And this is something that's just going to keep coming up over and over as we talk about the planets is the necessity of a magnetic field. Because Mars is so much smaller than the planet Earth, it was able to cool off faster. It's sort of like when you're making pies. The big pie in the big 12-inch pie dish is going to take a lot longer to cool off than the little mini pies that you might make to give away to friends. The smaller something is, the faster it can cool off. Mars already cooled off. This means that it no longer has a liquid iron core to drive volcanism, to drive a magnetic field. The planet is geologically dead, and part of that dying process means the magnetic field goes away. And without a magnetic field, the solar wind can blow the atmosphere away. So Mars is suffering from a small atmosphere because it doesn't have a lot of gravity. And what atmosphere it can gravitationally hold on to, the sun is coming along and blasting away. So... People trying to figure out how to terraform Mars, we can figure out how to get oxygen to free itself from the water and from the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but we can't figure out how to keep it because the solar wind is constantly going to be blowing that atmosphere away. So any attempt to to restore the the atmosphere on, on Mars would just be pointless? It's It's completely pointless. This solar wind is just constantly blowing it away and radiation associated with the solar wind can get all the way to the surface of the planet. Our magnetic field is protecting us from these high energy particles. Those high energy particles are going to go straight to the surface on Mars where they can damage human cells and trigger mutations that are harmful for life. All right, well, let's talk about the exploration of Mars up to now. So how have humans reached out and attempted to 
to visit the Red Planet? Well, we started off by sending out Mariner 4 in 1965. This was a really exciting mission. We had speculated as a planet that perhaps some of the surface features that we are seeing were oceans. When you look at Mars through a standard amateur telescope, you can actually make out surface features. You can see the white ice caps. You can see the dark regions. You can see the light dust regions. And... It leaves the imagination room to imagine perhaps that white that you're seeing is oceans, perhaps that dark that you're seeing is oceans. It turned out that there is no liquid water on the surface. We learned that in 1965, and we're still trying to find water there. So the liquid we now know isn't on the surface. We think it's below the surface. Since that 1965 mission, we've sent countless small probes that way to go and image. And today, uh, orbiting the planet, we have Mars Odyssey, we have Mars Express, we have Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. These little satellites are acting as communications relay stations to get information from the Mars Exploration Rovers back to Earth. So the little rovers, instead of using their batteries to transmit all the way back to Earth, which they can do, they can also uplink information to these orbiting satellites and then they relay it back to scientists using their higher power antennas and their solar cells. They're imaging the planet in all different wavelengths. They're looking for different particles that are coming off from subsurface reactions. Using these bands of satellites, we've been able to track changes in the surface of the planet. We've been able to see how gullies have grown out of the sides of craters. In images now spanning over five years, we can look in high resolution at one place time after time after time and see how dust devils have left streaks, how mysterious Black streaks that we don't think come from dirt devils have emerged out of different hills. How new, what look like channels cut by water are appearing. These these basically spy satellites, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, that sounds like a spy satellite for me, are spying to see if there's water, spying to learn about the weather, and basically helping us understand everything we can about this little world. Well, let's talk about the rovers specifically because they've got a pretty interesting job to do. Well, the rovers are amazing. They were expected to last just a few months and now it's been a few years and they're still chewing along. I don't buy that. I don't buy that they were expected to last three months. I think they were expected to last years and years. Well, so what we didn't know was going to happen was the wind blows the dust off of the solar panels. Right. That was the problem that the that the solar panels they thought would just clog up with dust coming out of the atmosphere until the they stopped working and the rovers would run out of power. And as it turns out, the same dust storms that we were worried about depositing too much dust on the little rovers actually blast the dust off of the rovers now and then. It's it's sort of like when you have a massive snowstorm but there's still areas of fields that are completely devoid of snow because of the wind. The Mars rovers are getting that great blast of wind now and then. The other thing that hasn't happened so far, but we're a bit worried about it happening this year, is if the rover's batteries ever go completely dead, then they have no way of rebooting. It's sort of like with my Macintosh computer. It can chew along pretty well without being plugged into the wall, and it will eventually put itself into sleep mode if I forget to plug it in for too long. 
and I can plug it back in and open it back up and it keeps going as long as I don't let it stay in that mostly dead sleep mode for too long. But if I leave it like that and the battery goes completely dead, all the files I was working on and didn't save are toast. With these rovers, they can go into sleep mode, but if they stay in sleep mode too long, they can't turn themselves back on. And we're worried about that happening. That will happen if the dust storms ever get so thick for so long that the solar cells can't recharge the rovers. So far, it looks like they will probably get through this dust season. Whenever Mars is closest to the sun, whenever it's hottest on the planet, you end up with these massive dust storms. We're mostly through the season, but we're not quite there yet. And it looks like the storms might be starting to clear up this season. Hopefully the rovers will keep going. I know they're starting to resume their science and they're doing great science. Yeah, I'm just working on an article now with the, uh, the rovers getting rolling again. So they actually got enough power now that they're able to start driving and doing more science. Well, let's talk about the science that they're doing. Why, why are the rovers there on the, uh, on the red planet? Well, there's some things that you can only see by clearing off the surface of a rock. We wanted to go in and observe what are the actual mineral structures, what are the stratifications, what are the different layerings in the surface. And the Mars rovers are equipped to wander around and use this rat arm to go out and burrow a little bit into a rock and look at the detailed mineral structures within the rocks. And they're finding minerals that can only form in the presence of liquid water. They're going around and they're looking to observe what are the types of mineral deposits, what are the types of rock formations. And we're using this to try and figure out the geological history of the planet. Different rocks form in different ways. And currently, one of the rovers is perched on the edge of a crater, getting ready to descend into Victoria Crater to see what stratifications can be seen in this hole that was dug out by a rock from space just to see, okay, so we know what the surface looks like. Let's see what happened in the different points. It's just like driving down a highway here and looking into the highway cutouts and seeing the different layers of the Earth's history in the geological deposits. They're going and they're looking to see what the different layers in the deposits are on Mars. Now, they're not looking for current water on Mars, not that they're really equipped to find it, they're looking for evidence that Mars was acting on rocks over long periods of time in the, in the past. And they're not, also not equipped to find life at all, are they? No, they were specifically designed without the ability to look for life and without the ability to actively go far enough ranging to search for liquid water. If they find liquid water, they'll know that it's there. It, it's liquid. You take pictures of it. You touch it. You can tell it's liquid. But that wasn't part of their mission. Their mission was basically to go out and be a rock hound and explore the geological features on the surface. And they're doing a great job of wandering all over the place. They're finding all sorts of neat structures. One type of structure that they're finding has been uh, jokingly called blueberries. There are these little tiny mineral deposits that look like berries growing on the rocks. They're getting amazing images of the weather patterns. We can watch clouds coming and going. We can calibrate the instruments to get a sense of the real colors on the surface of Mars and colors help us understand how the sunlight is passing through the atmosphere, and there's actually information in that color. They're just going around and digging and seeing 
what rocks are where and trying to piece together what was necessary to get this rock formation. All right, we'll talk about the, the next mission, which is on its way right now, which is the uh, Phoenix Polar Lander, which should be able to take that ex- the exploration a little further. So Mars has layered ice deposits on its northern and southern poles. Every year, new ice gets deposited. Some of it melts. Some of it stays there. When you look at high-resolution images of the poles, you can actually see these layering effects of the changes in how ice has been deposited over millennium. And it's going to be able to go in, dig, see, okay, so this is water ice, this is dry ice. What proportions do these two types of ice exist in? What are the gases trapped within these? By doing samples of ice and looking at the gases trapped in them, you can see how atmospheres have changed over time. You can also look for life. It's not something that NASA generally has as part of its core mission is to look for life. You can look at what sorts of nutrients might be trapped in the ice. And this, again, gives us a sense of what is the geological history of Mars. And that recently just launched just in early August and is going to be getting to Mars in May, I think, 2008. And it's just a lander. So it, it's not a rover like the like Spirit and Opportunity. It's going to land and then that's that. It's just going to dig where it, what, where, wherever it can reach. Exactly. And, you know, that's what scientists tend to do in Antarctica. You go somewhere, you set up your equipment and you dig a hole. And that's what it's going to do. This is actually a fairly neat craft because it's in some ways a replacement craft for the Mars Polar Lander that opted to crash into the surface of Mars instead of landing on the surface of Mars. We've been able to take advantage of the technologies that were developed for that mission, update them to modern abilities, and recreate that plan to, in this case, try and study the ice a second time. So the name Phoenix really is the rebirth in this case. And then the next big mission is going to be the Exploration Laboratory or Science Laboratory? It's the Mars Exploration Laboratory, and it is going to have roving abilities. Now, this is the mission that is going to try and search for life. They're working very hard to develop experiments that are capable of settling a question that was actually started by one of the Viking probes. The Viking probes had very simple equipment on them that would scoop up a sample of Mars soil, introduce water and nutrients, and then look for gases to be given off during chemical reactions that might be indicative of those chemical reactions taking place in microbacteria, normal bacteria, microbes. And those original experiments were highly inconclusive. It turned out that the Mars soil just might have a chemistry that acted like life without having life in it. And this is an ongoing debate of whether or not the Vikings conclusively didn't find life, conclusively found life, or just had a null result. And most people are leaning towards it was a null result, which is extremely frustrating. And so we're trying to develop new experiments that go look for chemical reactions in soils that are indicative of life being present in the soils. Now, uh, Mars has some interesting features that are not seen anywhere else on the solar system. Now, you said that the planet was dead geologically, and yet it's got some of the largest volcanoes, has the largest volcanoes in the solar system. So how is that possible? So it hasn't always been dead. 
Um, its death is actually a fairly recent thing with several of its surface features only forming in the past several million years. Uh, Serbius Fossi, a giant chasm we think opened about five million years ago. But the volcanoes themselves probably died about a billion years ago. Once upon a time, just like the Earth, its interior was a whole lot hotter. There was a whole lot more volcanism. And so back 3.8 to 3.5 billion years ago, the Tharsis Bulge area was having extensive amounts of volcanism. This was back during the age that Olympus Mons most likely formed and the other giant shield volcanoes that formed that section of the surface of Mars. There was continued deposition of lava plains all the way up to about 1.8 billion years ago. But the volcanoes, as the planet cooled, stopped having as much activity and then stopped having any activity at all. There was also a point in its time when part of the release of heat also most likely gave off vast amounts of water being melted. Valles Marinaris looks, as near as we can tell, like the giant big sibling to our own Grand Canyon here on the planet Earth. This valley, we think, was probably formed during some sort of a giant release of liquid water. We're not entirely sure what, have, what would have caused that, but its features, they just look like they were probably formed by water. This is part of why we need the rovers to see, well, can you form these sort of things with the dust that's on Mars? Can you form this with the wind speeds that are on Mars? And the evidence keeps pointing to once upon a time there was liquid that eroded the surface. And there are what seem to be ancient coastlines on Mars, too. There, there have been calculations that have showed that if you take all the water that's currently trapped in ice and melt it, you can cover the entire surface of Mars in liquid oceans. And when we look at the surface, we see what look like coastlines. We see what looks like... The effects of Mars, just like we talked about with the Earth last week, having true polar wander events where the planet rotated itself about its axis of rotation. So what used to be a pole was closer to the equator and what used to be closer to the equator was at the pole in reaction to a redistribution of mass. When those oceans dried up, when those oceans went away, the mass distribution of the planet changed and the planet rearranged itself so that it could rotate in a stable way. All right. Now, one of the uh, the last things I'd like to talk about are its uh, moons, because it has two moons. Even though Venus has none, we only have one. Mars has two. So there, there was actually, for a while, people were wondering, does this mean that Jupiter's going to have three? So if you look back at old documents, people used to do all sorts of numerology out of this. Venus, zero, Earth, one, Mars, two. Uh, that's not the case. It looks like through some weird event that we can't explain, Mars may have captured two asteroids. Now, the reason we have so much trouble trying to explain this is it's two little moons, Phobos and Deimos, are in close orbits and their orbits are almost perfect circles. And you don't usually end up with that when you're randomly capturing objects. And not only are they almost perfect circles, but their orbits are also pretty much straight over Mars equator. Again, not something you generally end up with randomly. But however Mars captured its two moons, these moons are in very close in orbits, unlike our own Earth's moon. The further out of the two is 
almost in an orbit equivalent to what we typically have our geosynchronous satellites in. It almost stays over the same point on the planet. It just sort of creeps slowly around relative to the rotation rate. This means that if you're watching the moon rise, it seems to take absolutely forever to creep into the sky and slowly wander its way across. So that's Demas. Now, Phobos is a lot closer in. In fact, it's so much closer in that as it zips around the planet, it's orbiting Mars faster than Mars is rotating. And Mars days are only a few minutes longer than our Earth days. So as Phoebus quickly flies around the planet, it's actually suffering tidal effects that are constantly dragging it closer and closer to the surface. And eventually it's going to get so close that tidal effects are probably going to cause this little moon to shatter. There's a few people that have speculated that this shattered moon is going to turn into a temporary ring around Mars. And others who say simply this is going to be one of the worst meteor impact events ever, except in this case, the meteor bits are actually broken bits of moon. So um, Mars has an interesting future in store for it when that, mean, when that moon decides to cease to be a moon. Do, do they have any idea of how long it's going to take? Um, there are different calculations. I have to admit those aren't numbers I have in front of me, but we'll look to try and get those in the show notes. It's, it's, in, it's not in our lifetimes. It's in the order of millions, billions of years in the future. And I guess the last thing is uh, we're going to be sending humans back to Mars in theory. In theory. I've, we've been promised. <laughs> So the the U.S. government currently has, as part of its goal for NASA, to get men to, or women, or both, uh, to the surface of the planet Mars. This is part of our Moon Mars initiative. I'm hoping that the commercial space agencies will hop onto this. I think that Mars makes a great commercial target because really, who doesn't want to go there? There's a lot of complexities, though. You have to build a team of people that are going to be able to get along beautifully in very cramped quarters for probably several years. It's going to take about a year to get there. You want to hang out on the surface for a while. And then it's going to take about a year to get back if you come back. If you want to learn about what this experience could possibly be like, there is a very good fiction book by Kim Stanley Robinson called Red Mars that a lot of research went into in trying to figure out just the human dynamics of getting there. And uh, there's also all the medical concerns where there are people talking about, well, any astronauts that we send to Mars, we're going to have to remove their appendix. We're going to have to remove their gallbladder just in case before they head that direction. But it's on the horizon. We're trying to figure out how to do it. And there's lots of tantalizing science coming out right now. Methane has been discovered in the atmosphere of Mars. This indicates that there might be methanogens, little microbes, bacteria that produce methane active on the surface today and we'd like to go looking for them and humans generally can move faster and uh, with higher safety levels than rovers which you have to worry about falling into holes and tripping over rocks so hopefully man isn't too far away from going and actually looking for life on mars well i don't know if you've been looking at your calendar but this actually wraps up 52 episodes it's a whole year of astronomy cast oh wow i lost track of that that's really cool (laughs) I was thinking about that as I, as I was putting in the, saying the number and I was like, thinking the episode 52, 52. Hey, wait a second. That's a whole year. So a whole year. So now I hope people can't say, you know, I wish you had more episodes. We have 52. Congratulations, Pamela. Congratulations to you, Fraser. It's, it's been a great year exploring science with you. 
And I think our list of outstanding episodes is more now than 50. So we'll have uh, years to go. Now you're, I guess, as just before this is released, you will have just finished Dragon Con. Yay! <laughs> doing a, a live version of the show. Do you want to talk about that at all? So uh, we're going to have a special guest. And um, I don't know if you want me to release who it's going to be or not. Sure, why not? We're going to have Kevin Grazier, the science advisor to Battlestar Galactica and Eureka and someone who's worked with Star Trek on our show. And um, he's going to be talking about the good, the bad, the just plain wrong of astronomy in TV, in films. And we're going to do that live in front of hopefully a large audience at Dragon Con. And uh, it's sure to be a lot of fun. And uh, we only wish you could be there with us, Fraser. Next year. Next year. Yeah, I went to PAX, so Penny Arcade Expo. So next year, I'll go to all of them. All right, well, now, did you have any uh, shameless promotion this week? Oh, shameless promotion this week. I, I have to admit that we had a small house fire, and my blog suffered for it, as well as my bathroom wall. So um, take pity on my blog. More science content will be coming next week. I've been pretty bad, too. I've been traveling pretty bad for the last two weeks. But I do have one article which just went up today uh, when, as we're recording this, which is an article by Nancy Atkinson about plans for building a uh, submarine for Europa. An interesting idea about what the, a submarine might look like and also some comments from NASA about why it will be hard. So you might want to check that out. All right. Well, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, Fraser. Talk to you later. Bye. You are listening to the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye. <laughs>